you so much for this morning. Uh, thank you for this awesome group of people who are gathered here, who, by the way, can sit down if they want to. Um, and thank you for your word. God, I'm really excited for what you have. I know that we're leaning really heavily into the project side of our name today, but I believe that you're shaking things up and you're going to do something exciting. So we welcome you to do what you want to do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So our scripture today is from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. By the way, my name is Ben. I'm a house church pastor. So that's who I am if you don't know me. All right. This is our parable today. Now he said to the disciples, there was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So he called the manager in and asked, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do? Since my master has taken the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master, he asked the first one. A hundred measures of olive oil, he said. Take your invoice, he told them. Sit down quickly and write 50. Then he asked another, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat, he said. Take your invoice, he told them, and write 80. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Anybody else kind of going, huh? Like I read this, and it sounds on the surface to our ears, to our eyes with 21st century lenses that Jesus is praising this manager for ripping off his, his boss, right? But like I said, we've got 21st century lenses on. We're reading this in the way that, you know, kind of employment works right now. But an interesting thing here is that Jesus didn't really need to explain the meaning of this parable like he did with some others. That means that on some level, his audience kind of got what he was saying. And one of the really important principles of these parables and really of any scripture study is we have to know what it was saying to the original audience before it can say anything to us, right? So I'm going to peel back a couple of layers here. In the first century, which is when this is written, when Jesus' audience is first hearing this, managers worked a little bit differently than they do now. So now, you know, managers, if there's someone who's like an accountant or something, they'll put their accountant's fee on the invoice and everybody knows how much the fee is, right? But at this point in time... Um, this is, you know, based on some of the sources that I've read, um, they didn't do it the same way. So the manager would, or the, the owner, the person would lend a certain amount, the manager would kind of determine how much. The debtor would walk away, and then when it came time to pay back the debt, the manager would essentially set their own fee and include it in the price. So it's like the idea is, okay, if I borrow 50, 50 bucks or something like that, come back, it's time to pay it back, well, the manager can say, well, yeah, you owe 75, and he just takes his cut off of it and then gives it back to the owner. That was standard business practice, right? And it wasn't usually much of a problem unless there was squandering, there was dishonesty happening. If it was, for instance, a really high amount that the manager was taking off the top. 
So we kind of making sense on that? I mean, there's, it's, it's, there's a little bit of similarity that goes on these days when you buy something wholesale or like a company makes a product and sells it for like 79 cents and then Walmart buys it and they sell it back for $1.50, right? We don't know how much the wholesale value was on that. But that's normal business practice. Anyway, the funny thing about that is that you know, now we read the story and we think that when the servant sits down with all these debtors, that he's ripping off his master. But the truth is that he was actually ripping off his master the whole time. And sitting down and rewriting these debts is his way of saying, okay, I'm taking my cut and lessening it. Hey, free Black Friday sale for all of you guys that are, you know, essentially um, removing his cut from it. So with our vision hopefully adjusted to see the meaning of this story a little bit more clearly, what are some of the takeaways here? One thing is that I'm really amazed at Jesus' ability to take a story about a guy who is kind of a scumbag. You know, he's proud, he's lazy, he's a con artist, really, and, and use it to show something good about our lives and something about the goodness of God. That kind of makes me think that Jesus knows what he's doing a little bit, right? He can take a story and still point back to God and the goodness of God, even if the story gets real dark. What I want to ask us here real quick how are we doing at managing the assets that God has given us? Let's take a second to think about that. The things that God has entrusted us with. What are we doing with that? That's something to pull apart in house church. I'm going to read verse 9 again here for us. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. The fact is that wealth is going to fail us all eventually. We can't take any of it with us when we go. And honestly, next economic downturn could happen at any point in time. We don't know. We don't know when circumstances are going to change for us. And we can't really rely on the idea that wealth is going to keep us afloat. But it really sounds like Jesus is encouraging us here that while we have resources, we really ought to be using them to build relationships that will last into eternity and have an eternal impact. So I'll ask again, are we being radically generous with our resources, with the things that we've been given? The really cool thing about radical generosity is it's not just so we can earn favor with God by like checking a box, right? Oh, I've been generous today. I earned more Jesus points. Hooray. But really, it's about letting God and letting the gospel radically change our view of everything, individually and as a unit, as house churches and as a church, including what we do with our time, with our money, with our resources. I mean, I'm right there too. I'm actually preaching a lot, largely to myself. I recognize my own need for God to change my assumptions and my views on money on where my security really lies and what I should do with the resources that I have. And maybe that's why for the last three or four weeks, the messages here at Church Project have all hit on radical generosity. I want to ask for a second. I want us to really think about it. And another thing that we can pull apart here in our house churches is what is God saying to us as a church on this? Why does he keep saying stuff about this radical generosity? Why does he keep hammering that point time and time again 
over the last couple of months. That's something that we should be thinking about. There's one more thing that stands out to me about this parable. Our sermon's probably going to be shorter than the Imago today. I'm probably not going to cry. <laughs> you know, it seems like this manager was kind of chugging along merrily, you know, getting away with his dishonesty until his master got wind of it, right? By that point, he really had to scramble to keep everything in his life from falling apart. It kind of makes me wonder, how often do we wait until the, the, the stuff, the you-know-what hits the fan, uh, before we address lingering sin in our own lives, lingering unhealthy habits of thought? Are we letting anything unhealthy go unchecked in our thoughts or actions or attitudes? And I'm not talking about being like self-condemning or navel-gazing at all of our problems or anything like that, what awful people we are, but... I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we all have opportunities to grow, right? We all have things that are going on in our lives, paths that, and assumptions and thoughts that, if left unchecked, can be destructive. So I think one thing that we can take away from this parable, one thing that we can pull from it here, is let's not wait until the bitter end. Let's not wait until things get so bad that someone comes and tells the manager, hey, you're getting ripped off. Let's make it a point to check in regularly with God and with each other to ask those hard questions about what's going on in our lives. What's going on? What's the real truth? What's the thing that I'm working within that, that isn't reflecting the Lord, that isn't reflecting the truth very well? And also, conversely, what is? What is actually working well? We need to hear that too. Doing this one-on-one -on -one with God is super important, but doing this with each other is also equally important. As we build each other up and we keep each other on course, we point out the things that we can't see in ourselves and each other. We call out the good along with the bad stuff that we see in each other. And we're really applying Jesus' command here in verse 9 to use our resources to build those eternal relationships. Uh, this is something called discipleship. And every one of us should be in discipleship relationships. We should have people that we are accountable to, that we trust, who can speak into our lives and say, hey, you're doing really well with this. I know that you can be up here. Let's go this way together. And we should, ideally, wherever we're at, have some people that we're helping along the way with us too, pulling them up with us. This is one thing that, another thing that House Church is great for. So within our house churches, can we be looking for those relationships? Can we be fostering those relationships? Making sure that we don't get to the point where the manager has to call us out. Keeps us away from the fan. Helps to equip us for radical generosity within the kingdom. And how can we, as individuals, and in our house churches, foster discipleship? I want us to actually talk about these things when we get together this week in our house churches. Like I said, it's a short sermon today. Thanks for bearing with me. I want to leave us with that question. Let's all wrestle with it. Let's pray. God, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for the hard scriptures that, that we get to pull apart. Thank you for the fact that, that together this church body really does dive into these things, that we don't push them off to the side because they're difficult, because they're confusing, but we really, really do look at them. And I pray, God, that throughout this week as we, as we simmer on this message, 
short and simple as it was, I pray that it was sweet. I pray that it was honoring to you. And I pray that you will bring to mind things that you want to challenge us with, that you want to encourage us with, that we'll do this together, that we will have true fellowship in this whole process. And that through your spirit, God, you will, you will guide us in the right direction. Thank you for your word. And we pray for your favor, your blessing upon all of us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.